All right. Good morning, everybody. My name is Mike Schrage, and I do represent, as the emblem shows, GMPI, Good News Productions International. I had the opportunity uh, for nearly 20 years of serving as a missionary in the country of Kenya. It would be there that I would find firsthand that how GMPI would be so useful and so helpful in making, in those days, film strips that would help us as we went into the villages. Number one, it would just draw people as a novelty. But then secondly, it would communicate to people who maybe didn't have Bibles, who secondly maybe didn't have access to scriptures just to purchase. Uh, how did you teach them biblical principles? Well, if you illustrated them, they could walk away back to their huts, back to their homes, back to their communities, and visually having seen what you talked about, they could remember they could tell it to their children. They could replicate, duplicate, multiply those truths. And so believing in the power of God, illustrating the power of media, putting those two powerful things together in visual form is why media and video is so powerful today. Not just in the church, but in whatever sector you find yourselves consuming and using it, whether it's a movie, it's something you browse on the internet, or whatever it is you're using even to communicate something as much as important of news about either a ministry or about a conference coming up in Kansas City. So I want to thank you, first of all, because at GMPI, located in Joplin, Missouri, our 15 staff, we want to thank you because this congregation has worked with us, journeyed with us nearly 40 years, and you have given $102,000, $102,000 to the efforts of making Jesus known in cultures, in languages and in places and countries that you'll never get to in your lifetime and languages you'll never learn and see and go into hearts and to people's lives that you will never know. But man, what a reunion that's going to be in heaven when your soul is told that that soul in India is there because of you. I didn't know. Just as the scripture says, Jesus, when did we see the imprisoned? And when did we see them? When you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. I didn't know. That is what's going to be the glory in heaven. And that's the engine and the impetus that drives us as a church, amen? To do evangelism and to continue to do, as we say, accelerate global evangelism through media and technology. Now, Today, I first of all want to invite you, if you have not, you're welcome to not be rude, but to go ahead and download the GMPI app. It will give you push notifications. It will tell you some of the projects that we've done. It'll have videos like the one you just saw. Basically, we are an organization that helps missionaries and church leaders pour gasoline on the fires of their efforts so that instead of, like me, having 30-some struggling churches after GMPI came along and helped us make media that we could take into the villages, we moved from 30-some week to over 120 strong from hundreds of Christians to 7,000 Christians. That is what you were doing as you were supporting in the 80s and 90s when I was in Africa, you were helping me do my work better. And I'm standing here today to say my number represents hundreds of missionaries, hundreds of church leaders that were blessed because of your giving. Thank you very, very, very much. You have indeed accelerated but we want to bring not just something about a message of what you're doing globally and internationally, 
But we want to boil it down to something, and I know you've had lots of messages by your brother Mike, who's come in and shared, an excellent communicator, one who has been very gracious to allow me the opportunity to have the pulpit today. And I know that there's been a lot of conversations around the element of disciple-making. Well, I am the oldest of nine children. I did get enough potatoes in that bowl, so I did exist. But boy, when my wife first came to our house and she saw that huge bowl of boiled potatoes, she thought, wow, your mom is really smart. She's done that, so it'll last for two and three uh, meals. (laughs) She came from a family of three weaklings. (laughs) I come from a family of robust German farmers. There wasn't a potato left after that meal. We knew how to multiply. Whether it was in the farm, in our families, we knew how to multiply. That is the thing that Jesus wants us as a church to do as well. And when he told us to go and to make disciples, it was something that was not hard. It was something that was easy. It was just like breathing. And for the next couple of minutes, I want to be very pragmatic with you. There are other people that share about the reasons and the purposes and the theological implications of why we should go and make disciples. Can I just be honest with you? I want to talk to you like a farmer. I want to talk to you just like it's just straight up meat and potatoes things. And I want to talk to you about the fact how God wants to mobilize us into disciples who can make other disciples. You know, I was in Iowa, South Dakota yesterday, early Iowa. I stopped and I did four things at a convenience store. I got rid of my trash. I filled up my car. I went to the bathroom and I got some cashews. Half the bag's still in there if you'd like to have some afterwards. It's called a convenience store because there I go and I relieve myself and I fill up and I fuel up and then I go on my trip. May I use that metaphor that you're in the convenience store right now? You're on a trip, you're on a journey. This is not all that church was cracked up to be. Jesus didn't go, dee, 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 dee. Jesus didn't die on the cross for the Sunday worship experience. Churches grow without this convenience operation attending. Did you know that? I've seen that. I've experienced that. We grew churches where there were never any kind of but small group entities that were multiplying over and over and over. You see, the Great Commission is this, my friends. I love you, but I'm out of Dodge here in a couple hours, so I can kind of say things and you can throw meat pies at me later. But the element is this. The Great Commission is not to come into the convenience store and hear. The Great Commission was to go and to show. Go into all the world. Tell them all that you have seen. Help them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Would you like God to be walking with you this week? Amen? Then do what he said. Go. Well, but you don't know. My people at my workplace, they're pretty cruel when it comes to I mean, none of them, they throw that J word around and that F-bomb word around and they do that. Really? You're going to talk to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the man who has scars in his wrist, and you're going to tell him it was tough? Sticks and stones don't break your bones. Names 
and calling and the things that we feel. We need to be a church that is very serious about being mobilized and disciples who are making other disciples. You do know that there are very important historic events in our lives that have done mobilizing impact on our lives. One of them, for those of you who might remember, is Pearl Harbor. Remember, there was a war going on in Europe that we didn't want to get involved in. We were an emerging economic powerhouse, but we said that is their war, that is their lives, that is their country, and that is their issues. But when Pearl Harbor was bombed, it became personal. And at that point, when it became personal, our flesh and blood, our young GIs, they signed up in droves to go into war and to go into battle. And Pearl Harbor woke up a sleeping tiger, unbeknownst to the rest of the world. And Pearl Harbor was a mobilizing effect on our country. We were making ships that took a year and three months to manufacture. At the end of the war, we could make that same ship in 21 days. We learned how to fight a war more effectively, more efficiently, and more in the fact that we were because we were engaged, all because of Pearl Harbor. It pulled us into war. Since 9-11, we have also been more realized of ever before of the Islamic world and the threat of Islam. And as I shared in Sunday school, our threat is not Muslim people. Our threat is Islam, and there's a big difference. Islam is a lie. The Quran is not the Bible. But people who follow that lie, people who hold that Quran is holy, Muslims are not your enemy. They were made in the same image and likeness of God as you. We are to make disciples of them. Haven't you read the book of Acts? Haven't you read about a, a person who was very close to a person like a Muslim? His name was Saul. And after Jesus got a hold of him, he became Paul. You see, God loves Jewish people. He loves Muslim people. He loves you, after all. You're a Gentile. You were outside. I was outside of his plan. And so when he says, go and mobilize, go and make disciples, what is today the mobilizing effect in your lives? Is it going to be that you've been notified you have pancreatic cancer? As my uncle was told and has three months to live. Will it be a mobilizing effect that we have right now floods in Joplin? And people are going to lose everything they've ever built in their houses. Will that mobilizing effect be that somebody was killed that you loved on a motorcycle or by a drunk driver? What is it that's going to be the mobilizing effect in your lives to wake us up and to understand that we are at war? Now, Mike, what do you mean we're at war? I mean, you know, it's... It's really important for us to understand, you know, Nikki Toyama Setsu, she says this. She says that following Jesus is costly. And yet following, or yet not following him, is very much more costly. I'll read that again. Following Jesus is costly, but not following him is even more costly. I like what John Piper says. He says it this way. I'm against suffering. Having clean water is important. Having enough food is important. Having to eliminate human trafficking is important. Biblical justice is important. I'm against all those elements of suffering. But you know what? I'm also much more against eternal suffering. Because you and me were hold and held on this earth. It's the jewel called the soul is what Jesus died on the cross. He didn't die for my red hair. He didn't die for my six-foot stature. He didn't die for that body can run five miles in so many minutes. What he died for was the soul in your body. 
And that soul suffering for eternity is what is more costly. So, in the Insanity of God book, written by a colleague that was a former missionary to Somalia, he says that God uses persecution to strengthen believers so that they will understand that the tough times is what gets us mobilized. We do understand, right, that when you accepted Jesus, you inherited an enemy. You do get that, right? In John chapter 10, it says these words. Jesus said it this way, just as plainly as we can listen to it. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. You have an enemy, and he has three objectives. Steal what is yours, physically, emotionally, financially, relationally, spiritually. Destroy it if I can, and eventually snuff you out and kill you eternally to be with me. Here, if you don't believe that I, when I'm saying that we are in war, are some of the biblical language terms that I'll just quickly read three scriptures. One is this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war <laughs> as the world does. Second Corinthians 10.3. Did you hear that? Our convenience meeting here is not where the war is. The war is out there. The command is not to come and hear. The man is to go and show. Second scripture is this. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles... To abstain from sinful desires which wage war on and against your soul. Not against your body. <laughs> Satan doesn't worry about your body. He only uses your body to get to your soul. It's the soul that he's after. He's not worried about your mind. He'll use your mind to get to your soul. His soul is what he's after. Are you with me, people? That is the precious gem that you carry. And that is when... You love me, you love me not. That God says, I love you, the soul that's created in the image and likeness of us. And the final scripture is this. Believe it or not, heaven is not all wonderful and cozy and peaceful with little angels that have little halos on their heads. For the scripture says... Scripture, we believe it's true, right? The Bible is the word of God, it is true, right? Scripture says in Revelation 12, 7, war broke out in heaven. Oh my gosh. So when we signed up on the dotted line and gave our life to Jesus Christ, he said, I give you everything. I give you authority over evil spirits. I give you the promise of eternal life. And by the way, you signed up. You're on a dotted line. You're a veteran of war. You've got an enemy that enemy is my enemy. That enemy is your enemy. He has his kingdom, and I have my kingdom. And you decided to shift from that of darkness to light to evil to good, and so you are mine. Go and make disciples. That was his vision. That was his mission found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. In 60 words, in 60 words, Jesus was brilliant in telling us that which summarized his global vision, his mission, and his passion. So, my question to you and me is that are we making disciples? I want to be very frank with you. It is easy. 
You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to be a missionary. It is easy to make disciples. And I want to give you three easy ways that you can do it. Number one is intentionally encouraging through the element of kindness. My wife is a beautiful woman, married 27 years, three children, three grandchildren, and counting. She is the uh, executive director of what was known as a crisis pregnancy center. It has now become a community sexual health clinic. Not one, not two, not three, but there are four clinics that go around, and they are the antithesis of that which is called Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood will go ahead and encourage you to stop from getting pregnant. It will encourage you to even have an abortion if necessary. My wife is on the other side of that line. There was a time in Joplin when there was protests that were for life and that they were protesting Planned Parenthood, which literally was only two blocks from my wife's office. And so there was a time when there was one young man, a little bit deluded I might add, that decided he would just amp up this whole conversation a little bit and instead of marching against Planned Parenthood, he just burned the place down. And there were literally Christians and people who came up to my wife and sent emails to her and said, aren't you so glad that the community is behind you to this degree that they're even marching and that they're burning down that building that causes people to maybe consider abortion? And my wife instead went to Walmart, and she bought a gift card, and she bought a bouquet of flowers, and she went to Planned Parenthood. She talked to the executive director, and she said, forgive us. I am so sorry We don't burn buildings down. Was there anyone that was hurt? Was there anyone? Were you going to be able to to continue? I'm so sorry. Here is a bouquet. Here is my card. Here is a gift card. If there's anything that we can do, please know that we're praying for you. Now, when people come into my wife's clinic, they fill out an intake form. And at the bottom of that one form, at one point, it asks, how did you hear about our clinic life choices? And one day, one of the nurses excitedly came into my wife's office, knocked on the door, and she showed the intake form, and she said, you won't believe it. Because at the bottom, it says, who advised you to come to Life Choices Clinic? And it said, manager of Planned Parenthood. Did you hear? An act of kindness was the most powerful statement to reserve and preserve life, even to those who would consider otherwise. And my friends, in this political climate of uncivility, we need to be salt and light. We need to be civil. We need to be kind. It will actually be the stock of making us different than the world. And one of the steps to making a disciple. Second story that I'd like to share with you is one of radical generosity. Now, I know that I'm a German farmer who loves meat and potatoes, but I also love rice and sushi. (laughs) My mom said years ago, I knew that you were going to be someone who traveled the world because while you ate potatoes, the rest of the family hated rice. You loved rice. And later on, you liked sushi. Really? Raw fish? 
Good stuff? Yeah, it's awesome. And so we went to a Japanese restaurant, and we were having sushi. And so we were down there, and we were going ahead. It was around Christmas a year and a half ago. And we were going ahead, and we were getting waited on and everything. And I don't know if it was the Christmas spirit or the spirit of God. I'd like to think it was the latter. But when we were done with everything, I left a tip like I've never left before. I was so scared, I didn't even tell my wife. <laughs> I folded the charge and put it away. Christmas came and went. New Year's came and went. January came and went. And about February, ding, 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 I have a hankering for sushi. <laughs> and so we go to the same Japanese restaurant, and we go ahead, and we come in there, and I'm late, as usual. And my wife is there working on her phone and so forth. And we get there, and the lady comes up, and she's ready to take your drink order. I said, I'll have water with lemon, please. And she doesn't move. I said, oh, I'm sorry, water with lemon. And she says, you don't know me, do you? You don't remember I said, uh, excuse me? About that time, my wife goes, yeah, excuse me? <laughs> I, I said, no, I, I, I don't remember. And, and she looks up with the pencil and her pad, and she's saying, I, I've, I've wanted this day. I, I wanted to ask, uh, uh, how did you know? And again, my wife is going, yeah, know what? How, how, how did you know that I had just had that terrible breakup with my boyfriend and, and our little son? Uh, I'm not from Joplin. I'm from Alabama, and it was Christmas time, and uh, I was wondering, how am I going to pull up myself, and how am I going to get to my parents at Christmas time, and how am I going to get a gift even for my son, and I don't have anyone? And, and she says, I was broken, and I was homeless, and I was sad, and I was what direction? And she said, I was sitting, and I was talking. God, do you see me? And I walked into work that night, and I had your table, and you left a gift on that tip that helped me get to my parents for Christmas and have a gift for my boys. And I just want to ask you, how did you know? And my wife, as only my wife can do, pulled her into our bench and into where we were sitting in the booth, and she began to crush and put the, and crumble into tears and weep and cry and talk about her heartache. And it all started with a generous tip to a lady who did an average job on our table, giving us rice and sushi. And I ask, can't you do that? Can't we be kind and generous and powerful with our finances? To make the statement that says you're important and I love you and I care for you and I want to bless you. And with that, to start the conversation, you know we are still on a journey with her. She's not a follower of Jesus, but she's very, very close. And that is how easy making disciples can be. And that's how commanded we are in our battle for the flesh and blood and souls of men and women that says we need to be different once we leave the convenience store on Sunday. Go.
and make disciples. The third story that I'd like to share with you is about the fact that I fly with Delta. I fly with Delta a lot. <laughs> I have about three quarters of a million, probably approaching a million miles on Delta. And so I pretty much can do a lot of profiling of, oh dear, this is going to be a long international flight. <laughs> and this man was sitting next to me on this particular flight from Oklahoma City to Amsterdam and on to Nairobi, Kenya. And it turns out that indeed he was Kenyan and he was beginning to share his story that he's a male nurse, he works in Kenya, he's, or, or, he's left Kenya, he works in the U.S., and he was going back to Kenya to visit his mom and dad. And he pops beer number one, and he's kind of chatting with us and asks, you know, some niceties about what uh, I do after I ask and probe a lot of questions about him, tells me he's single, tells me he's been here 10 years, he's a male nurse, loves America, doesn't really like the, what he hears rednecks are, but doesn't get all that stuff. But anyway... Finally, the conversation comes back to me, and that's where I really struggle. Because if I'm exhausted and tired on an eight-hour flight beginning from Oklahoma City and going to Amsterdam, I can be naughty with the guy next to me who's had his third beer. And it's this way. So, what's your name? Mike. So, what you do? Dang it. There it is. There's the temptation. Because if I want to sleep, and I want to shut him down, and I don't want him to talk another word to me, do you know what I have to do? <laughs> so what do you do? I'm a pastor and a missionary. Boom! <laughs> that guy won't bother me for nine hours. It's true. <laughs> you know God, it's true. But on my better days, what's your name? I'm Mike. What do you do? I am getting to serve as leading a media organization. Oh, really? Where is it located? Joplin, Missouri. So what does this media organization do? We empower Asian and African and Latino people to use today's technology to bring social lift and spiritually encouragement to communities and cities around the globe and the planet. Wow! I just explained Good News Productions International <laughs> in a culturally relevant way that wouldn't shut him down. Are you with me? A lot of us need to understand how we engage today's lost culture. So we want to invite you to church. That's not what the scripture says. It wasn't go and bring them in. It was go and show and tell them. Show them kindness. Show them generosity. And be culturally relevant. Make it real so that like Jesus is living in Whiting today. Like he gets it. Like he's not all that involved in knowing what is happening in the convenience store called church on Sunday. He's much more knowing about what the people are doing on their journey from South Dakota to early Iowa to Whiting to heaven. Are you with me? Making disciples. And so I'm over here and I'm talking to this Kenyan guy and he knows that I'm a missionary. He hears that I'm in his country. I'm speaking his language. And then he goes and says, dang it, the second thing. Oh, you know, he says, I really ought to go to church when I'm back in Kenya. Oh, really? Yeah, you know, my mom is the teacher of Sunday school. Really? 
really? Yeah, you know, my dad, mom, they all took us kids to school. Oh, really? So you go to church here in Oklahoma City? Oh, no, are you kidding, man? That's garbage. I don't go. Oh, sorry, Pastor. No, we don't go there. <laughs> so why would you want to go to church in Africa if you don't go to church here? And then I did the thing that I think many of us ought to tell people. I told him I wouldn't go to church. Well, now, excuse me, Mike, I, Mr. Missionary, Mr. Pastor, Mr. GMPI, I thought our whole thing was to get him to go to church. No, no, it's not. It's get him to know Jesus. You see, if I get him to come to church, they'll see hypocrites like you and me. As I look out in the audience, you're kind of ugly. You're not that accused. You're not that welcoming and warming. I mean, you're kind of like, you know, it's all right, but I can tell your stories. We can go ahead. My wife and I work on Wednesday night, our Wednesday night. Do you know what we do on our Wednesday night? We go on the parking lots of strip clubs and pray for bouncers and strippers, and we invite them to come to church, and they tell us we can't go there because we know your deacons and your elders. I'm telling you the truth. So why would I invite them to come here? to the convenience store of Sunday until they have met the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Because I told him, as you meet Jesus, you meet Jesus first, and then you come into the convenience store known as church, you'll put up with our hypocrisy. You'll put up with our cheating on, on the taxes. You'll put up with cheating in our marriages. You'll put up with the F-bomb. You'll put up with all the things that you could now see that we don't do right, and we don't. We are fallen creatures saved by the grace of God. We are not attractive to a sinner. Get that through your minds. What is attractive to Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ to a sinner. His holiness, his awesomeness, his power, his love, his forgiveness, his grace. That is what we found in the convenience store called church and life. Amen? And so, no, Mr. Kenyon Nurse, I wouldn't go to church. But I would go to Jesus. And if you find and follow Jesus, you'll love and put up with a pathetic, sin-filled, inconsistent, broken thing called the church. So go and mobilize and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Can we be kind? This week, can we leave the convenience store and be generous with our money and time in creative and exurious ways? And can we get it right that it's not a story about come to our convenience store on Sundays, but about the journey? And for here, it's just to fuel up, get rid of the rubbish, and take on more energy to go out into a dying world. I like what Will Rogers, I said I was a farm kid, right? <laughs> I like what Will Rogers says. Live your life in such a way that you could sell the family parrot to the town gossip. 
And a mentor of mine, Robert McChain, said it this way, a Christian is a person who makes it easy for others to believe in God. So my challenge to you and me as we go and make disciples is we don't need to know all the theology, right? Oh, it's important. We know need, need to know our Bible. That's for another day. Don't misunderstand me. Don't leave and say that missionary said you don't need to know your Bible. Uh-uh, I didn't say that. What I said was that Jesus said, go from the convenience store of the worship service of Sunday and go and show, go and tell, and go and make disciples. I'm listening to a book right now about the church movement in a country called Mongolia. And it would be during that time that the missionary would have his last-born son die of SIDS, sudden uh, infant syndrome or something like that, at 52 days of age on Christmas Eve. Every right to leave Mongolia. And yet today in the country of Mongolia, that missionary has started a movement because they understood, as a matter of fact, they do not encourage church on Sundays. They have found that as they have discouraged, that people in their house groups and in their small groups have become more vibrant, more healthy, more self-fulfilling and depending on one another for their life and their needs. Oh, they have larger gatherings. They do take communion. Don't misunderstand me on all of this. My point is this. That making disciples in a tough place like Mongolia can occur today. Surely, we could do a movement out of this church of Whiting in Iowa tomorrow. By simply going and being kind and being generous and getting it right of relevantly telling people, know Jesus first and then come to church. I love you guys. I thank you for what you do in missions. I thank you for what you do in this community. But we have a country that needs to have a church that wakes up. And I want to share about an exciting thing that we at Good News are involved with here, even in this country. And this video is what you're going to see now. And it's called Zume. Zume is the Greek word for leaven. And it is an opportunity to come alongside churches and to help mobilize us to be very practical in knowing how in our schools, in our universities, in our farm culture, and in our teaching in our businesses, and in our families, how to go about making disciples. It's an online training that will empower us to do the things. If the people in Mongolia can do it, surely you and I can. Let's watch this video, and God bless you.